Borak, dog earthlets! My name is Conrad, and this is the 218th episode of Space Spinner 2000, a podcast where we try to make sense of the UK's own galaxy's greatest comic, 2000 AD, one month of progs at a time. This episode, we're taking a break from the weekly progs and once again venturing into the exciting world of special editions, in this case, the 1990 sci-fi special. We're seeing these specials become a testing ground for new 2080 talent and places to feature extra episodes of less essential and brand new thrills. That's very much the case this time with new stories featuring Luke Kirby, Armored Gideon, Indigo Prime, and Bix Barton. Uh, the price of the special has gone up to 95 pence, but more than that, I'm excited for my guest this episode, 2080 Art Droid Mark Sexton! Welcome to the show! Oh, hello. <laughs> <laughs> hello. How are you all? It's nice to be here, and um, and I've been enjoying the professionalism, professionalism of that last little bit, and just going, man, if I sounded like this on one of those, I'd be happy. But anyway, then have to put up with me as I am. Yeah, well, thank you. I mean, you, you, you're fine. Come on, but um, I just want to thank you so much for coming on the show. I, I really appreciate it. Oh, it's absolutely my pleasure. I've been listening for some time to the show, quite a few years. And uh, it's always fun, always enjoy it, and uh, yeah, it was nice to be asked. So, of course, yeah. You know, if, if if anything, when I like, I, I I feel like I should have asked you a long time ago. But it's one of these things where I feel I get I, I get self conscious about asking like actual actual talent to to come on the show. Like you know, we're just sort of we're very much just just random dudes. So you know, it's sort of hard to be like, would you like to come on my podcast? We'll sort of talk about old comics. I don't know. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, but then you uh, then you get to understand that the uh, uh, the talent he says with his fingers up in uh, in um, quotation marks um, is uh, random dudes themselves, possibly Ooh. in different way. Uh, you know, I don't know. Uh, I just yeah. Well, speaking, I, speaking of some more experience, <laughs> absolutely cool. So I want to before we get started, if you could tell us what your history with two thousand AD is. Two thousand AD. Um. Mm. Well, I, 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 I've told this story before on various other places, but I'll tell it again. Ooh, appreciate anybody it. who doesn't like it. Just, ooh. Um, so, yeah, I, I grew up on this small island in the middle of the Pacific, um, and we didn't get comics there. And um, very occasionally they'd arrive as ballast filler on a container ship or something like that, but we just didn't <laughs> get comics. So I didn't grow up reading anything apart from the occasional, uh, you know, I think I saw my first Asterix book when I was seven. And, um, and I went, oh, what? I, I don't know what this thing is with these pictures in it, but I like it. Um, and uh, and so from the age of seven, I started drawing my own Asterix books because I didn't know they were called comics. <laughs> um, my own character in it. Um, and they were crap. So you'll never oh, see you them. Um, but, um, and, then, and then when I was 15 – on this uh this uh, the school on this island only went to year 10 which is kind of like you know, when you when you get to 15 mm-hmm. that's where school stopped and if you and because of the it being a small island what they used to do was this thing called the year 10 tour where you'd go to australia you'd fly to australia for two weeks with the whole class and you'd go and do a week where you went to the snow because no one on this island had ever seen snow. <laughs> uh, you do skiing and frostbite exercises, and um, and then you'd spend a week doing work experience in Sydney. Um, I can't even remember what the fuck I did for work experience. So obviously made an <laughs> but um, but flying over this, uh, flying back from um, Australia to uh, Norfolk Island, 
I was sitting next to this kid called Shane Smith. Now, Shane Smith and I were, we, yeah, we, yeah, it wasn't a big class. We got along okay. But he had these three comics that he was reading, and I don't know, he must have bought them in a news agency um, while he was in uh, um, Sydney. And it was Eagle reprints, um, ah. issues 17, 18, and 19, I think. I can't remember. Mm-hmm. Or it might have been – anyway, whatever the case. And the f- earliest one uh, was the second part of the – second half of the Blockmania story. Oh, nice. So so I've gone and, – and he let me read them because it was a three-hour plane trip. So actually four-hour plane trip at that time. Um, and uh, so he gave me, gave me to read. And so I read uh, my first proper comic I had basically read – other than Asterix and by that time a couple of Tintin books mm-hmm. was block was the second half of Blockmania. Oh my gosh! And you know, so you know, Futuristic City, everyone insane, thousands <laughs> of people dying. The main character machine gunning people, machine gunning crowds with a, on his on his motorbike that's got machine guns on it and stuff like that. Sure. And mass death and slaughter and destruction. And and my fifteen year old brain went, what the. F- <laughs> and uh, and so I then made it my mission to find out as much about Judge Dredd as I possibly could because the other two issues were parts of the Apocalypse War. So oh, I see, yeah, yeah, that was that was the place to start. Um, and then I basically just when I went to Australia to finish school, do year eleven, twelve over in um, Adelaide, I uh, I started hunting around, and that's where I discovered that Judge Dredd appeared in two thousand AD. This is obviously all pre-internet, um, and so I started buying. 2008Ds, which are only in, uh, you can only get them in news agencies and stuff like that. <laughs> and I just bought it for years and read them. And there was a period of time that may, um, yeah, maybe a little bit after this um, particular special where I may have dropped off for a bit. Um, sorry, mm-hmm. sorry, John Burtis. Um, and then, um, and then, and then came back. That's an interesting story for later. Um, <laughs> and then, and then at some stage or another, a few years ago, um, I um, managed to get a, a bit of a gig doing some um, some artwork for this for this um, esteemed publication, Absolutely. which has been a a life goal since I was fifteen. And uh, and uh, and there is actually a um, and there is a partially direct correlation between the dread story in this particular sci-fi special and the uh, and the story that I ended up doing in a very random way. Oh, but, really? Um, yeah, we'll talk about that when we get there. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I'd love but, to hear that uh, for sure. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, it'll be a detail. And everyone will go, oh, well, well, that was really impressive. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, but I, I've got to do some stuff for uh, 2000 Ideas and Artroid, which has been fun. And I don't do enough, and I'd like to do more. Um, anyway, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll get there. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, definitely. I, yeah, I think that's so. That's so cool. Just to, yeah, to be to be able to work on something that you read when you were a kid. I think that's a, like you know, I can't it, imagine. It, was, but it seems like it'd be really awesome for sure. It was. It was a moment. It was a moment. <laughs> <laughs> so I know several moments. Yeah, definitely. So I know you've done um, storyboards for a lot of different movies and stuff like that. How do you think that like 2080 has influenced your work? Um, like, 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 like doing that, I guess. Oh, massively. I mean, because you know, once I discovered Dread, I started doing, uh, started drawing my own Dread comics and stuff like that. And mm-hmm. they're all shit. They're all shit and stuff like that. <laughs> but uh, yeah, for, but then you know, when you do stuff like 2000 AD, especially um, when you're drawing 2000 AD characters, especially from the 80s, mm-hmm. um, you start drawing 
particular people in particular ways, and I discovered that I developed this developed this artistic tick, which was that I would draw people with massive chins and very small and very small tops of heads. Because when you actually break down how most of those artists with particular styles in mm. 2008 at the time drew people like Dread and stuff like that, they always seem to have um, the top of their head was always very 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 small. And uh, and so I had this weird artistic tick where I'd always draw people that way. And yeah, that's uh, that's that's followed me around for a while. But I've got, I think I've got better now. But uh, yeah. Um, other than that, though, no, I think you know you read 2000 AD, and one of the things you have to have to say about 2000 AD is because of the way the stories are structured, and because of the talents of those people involved, mm-hmm. you really get a crash course in really condensed, effective. Story, visual storytelling. Oh, absolutely! You learn, yeah, you learn. It's not just it's not just in the writing, but it's also in how the story is told visually, and uh, and I think in a lot of ways that really helped me figure out how to visually tell stories. So, you know, quite seriously, I think 2008 was a massive help in me uh, getting into storyboarding and film because, you know, I've storyboarded. I've been storyboarding for bloody 27, 27 years now, or something like that. I mean, some stupid amount of time. When I started storyboarding, one of the other things about this film, the, the island I, um, I, I grew up on, was that they didn't have a cinema and we didn't have television. So oh, wow. I didn't. So I didn't watch films, and there was no television, and so I didn't watch anything I read. Um, so I didn't have a visual language that was influenced by um, childhood memories of film hmm. or television. So. I literally got into storyboarding and film having watched about maybe less than 50 films in my life and wow. I didn't watch and I hardly watched television. So I can equate a lot of what I've done with storytelling since then to reading 2000 AD because that was basically the only comic I read. Mm-hmm. So, that's really interesting. That's like, that's an inter, that's a really interesting position to be coming into, into, you know, storyboards, which are how the, you know, obviously how the film's supposed to look to not have that baseline or to have a, such an, such a, a different baseline than I think most people in that field must have. Well, really confusing everybody. <laughs> For sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It was it was it was, uh, it was an interesting place to come from, and uh, and so I think I hold you know all those lovely people who took 2000 AD back then a massive debt of gratitude for getting me to uh, continue to actually be able to actually work in comics and film without actually being fired perpetually. <laughs> yeah. Quickly, we're we're coming back in. Just had to change uh, uh, Mark's microphone because he's was sound like like he was in the middle of a hurricane. But I think we're we're yes. doing better now. <laughs> Yeah, sorry guys. I had beans for breakfast. Oh no. Nice. So many, so many breakfast references. It's not quite time. Well, that's almost Yeah, I should've I should have used that as a transition transition. He's doing, he's doing these, ga- these guest transitions trying to put me out of business. I see how it is. <laughs> Uh, you know, I've been I've been practicing all week. Oh, yeah, I, I no. Listen, I do it all the time. Really annoys my friends and family. I'm trying to always <laughs> move on to the next thing. But uh, so, just so yes. you know, in our in our Prague timeline, we've just finished Prague uh, 675. So Necropolis has just mm. begun. We're in the early days of a bunch of stuff. Like th- things just started last episode. Like. Uh, the first Armored Gideon story, 
um, the Harlem Heroes reboot, the cyberpunk thriller Shadows, and Universal mm. Soldier 2, not the one with Jean-Claude Van Damme. I think that pretty much sums them up, doesn't it? It's a real rogues gallery of questionable thrills. <laughs> mm, some, some brilliance. And some not so brilliant. But anyway. Yeah. I've enjoyed Armored Gideon. I think Shadows is actually really interesting just as a, uh, I don't know, as the sort of early 90s, like cyberpunk style or or a story, you know. But um, ooh, listen, like if you want to hear an angry Conrad, let's start talking about Harlem Heroes reboot. <laughs> but no, no, let's instead, let's go to the special. Oh, man. Oh. <laughs> Speaking so, of angry. Yeah. So the the <laughs> the cover here is by uh, Zach Sandler, who's contributed mm. a bunch of uh, co- of uh, painted covers and pinups recently in 2000 AD. We got Tharg with a yin-yang forehead symbol instead of a rosette of, Sir- of Sirius. He's got three kind of uh, tarot card type things. One for Armored Gideon, one for Luke Kirby, and one for Bix Barton. All of the new uh, comic stories in this issue. And um, – and- is this one of the very few times when Dread's not even referenced on the cover of a uh, of a uh, special or something it does, like that? It, it, it is very unusual. I mean, there are time a lot like like Tharg's way more cons- or often very consistent with the sci-fi specials. I think we've seen I, I I know we've seen previous ones where it was like uh, Johnny Alpha and Judge An- and Judge Anderson were like mm. um, like uh, you mean you mean Tharg. top th- top thrills. Ooh, but you know, whereas yeah, this is, yeah, this is, other, you know, I other, mean, this is, this is a, it's a sign of things to come when the front cover only references Armored Gideon, Luke Kirby, and Dick Spartan. I bet it's just like because there's also the mega, the Judge Dread mega special coming out at the same time, like maybe they don't want to have too much dread at once or something like that, but it is, uh, I don't know. It is a weird choice. I mean, last last time, or no, I don't know. That was the annual, actually, I'm thinking of, where we had a bunch of characters in Tharg's hand that didn't even show up in the special in the uh, in the story. But that's just how it goes. Um, <laughs> uh, false advertising. I love it. There you go. As opposed to this one, where even Tharg looks slightly bored. Too too true. Uh, too true <laughs> advertising. Um, on the inside cover, there's a take on a on a Rodin's the th- on a Rodin's. The, 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 the Thinker, Thinker by Judge yeah. Dredd. I believe this one's yep. by uh, Paul Pert-Smith. Uh, thanks to so. Willie Russell, Paul Dawson, Julius Hall, and the, and the Megaverse for helping me figure out that one. Um, I really like this one just because, like, I don't know. I feel like I'm a Dread connoisseur these days. And so I'm looking at some of this, at the details of his uniform, and they're really kind of jumping out at me. Like, I love – it's got this, like, uh, square uh, eagle – like, like, claw on the eagle – and the blue like nodules on the knuckles of his gloves, and then especially that Dread has this furrowed brow that's like like his helmet is furrowed. You know, mm. <laughs> he's he's so he's so angry that it, that that it's moved through into the metal of his helmet or whatever. He is really angry that day. He's and he's got marbles on his. He's got marbles on his knuckles. Yeah, I mean, yeah, usually those funny. are glove colored, but yeah, this time he's got a bunch of like you know he's going to take some kids out in the schoolyard with these. Um, it does look like he's actually. It does look like he's actually frowning at the marbles and going, "What the fuck are they?" <laughs> got the weird gloves, you know. No one expects them. <laughs> but excellent. On the topic of beans and breakfasts, bringing it back, let's talk about thrill one. Bix Barton. How's your throat? 
oh, listen, you know, early days, like 11 thrills in this thing. You know, I, I hope uh, to survive. Uh, I'm looking forward to the choking. <laughs> so a uh, script about Peter Milligan, art about James McCarthy, letter about Tom Frame. Um, we Tom just – Tom Frame. We just finished Tom the – Tom Frame. <laughs> we just, I'm ruining everything. Listen, live it up. That's what I say. Oh, yeah. I've got to do it sometime. You know. Hey, we got these running jokes. You got to run with them. Um, so th- we've just finished the first uh, uh, Big Spartan story, been introduced to this character. So now we're we're continuing on. Mm. Um, in uh, Arnold Poe of the East Sussex Ghost Society is um, going full like a basic cable ghost hunter show in Mrs. Cohen's guest house in the town of Rye. I, I don't know if you have guest hunt- ghost hunters in Australia. It's a big, big thing in the States where they kind of just have like, oh, here's a, a haunted prison. We're going to have a bunch of guys walk in with night vision cameras and taunt the ghosts. Show yourself, ghost! But they never really do. You know, I don't know. I was say exercise and futility, really. But they freak themselves out and think there's ghosts. So that's just as good, you know. Um, I'm sure the crew have lovely fun. Sure, it's fine. Um, Someone's got to do it. Yeah. So, so the doors are locked. He's talking into a dictaphone because he's trying to uncover the source of some strange noises in this house. Suddenly, he sees something. But all we see is his terrified reaction, his big, scary eyes, a gibbering mouth. Oh, no. They are some scary eyes. Listen, I'll, I, all I'm in it for these days is just terrified reactions, you know? Like, <laughs> I got I got spoiled by them in the Dead Man story. And so now I just need, I just need those terror eyes, you know? I gotta be terrorized <laughs> by terror eyes. That's my move. I mean, his glasses, his glasses have come off and everything. And what I love is the fact that on the next page, when they find him and he's in a state other than alive, He's put his glasses back on. Oh, my God. Mm. The killer mess with the corpse. <laughs> Luckily, Bix Barton. Yes. Ooh. <laughs> the next day, Bix Barton, master of the rum and uncanny, is on the case. He's checking the, the uh, substance on Poe's chin with the help of his assistant, Michael Kane, actually a cane. And it turns out to be fried egg and sausage. The game is afoot. Bam. It's ridiculous. Soon, at a at a banquet for a visiting mayor, I guess. <clears throat> I don't know. Um, a, I don't know. A guy, he seems to be Scottish based on his uh, speaks, uh, uh, on his speech patterns and love I'm, of haggis. I'm going, I'm, I'm going, uh, I'm going Northern English, but I'm Ooh, not quite sure. It could be that mm. too. Ooh. I'm ong- I'm so I'm I'm hungry that I could eat a decomposed cadaver of Arthur Scargill so I could things like that. That's his Scottish. Listen, I'm I, not, not going to do the accent because thousands of people from England will come down on you like a ton of bricks. I'd rather they came down on you. Listen, my 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 promise to the people of the British Isles is that I will mess up all of your accents. You know, I'm ready. <laughs> But so instead of whatever he was looking for, talks about a raw goat's bladder soaked in dog's muck. Instead, it's a full English breakfast. Oh, no. It's grim. You know, I don't think I've ever had a full English breakfast, I must say. Like something about beans and tomatoes and mushrooms and stuff. It, It bothers me from a breakfast perspective, I suppose. Yeah, well, given what I can potentially do, according to the story, I don't blame you. 
Yeah, listen, you know, when when a when an American breakfast kills you, it takes a it takes a uh, it takes a it, it draws it, it out. It takes a while. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, yeah, cholesterol's a thing. Yeah, instead of instead of eating your eyes, it just it hits you with the diabetes in a couple of years. But anyway, uh, nice. <laughs> um the full the breakfast attacks this mare and then it escapes and i i do love uh, mccarthy's art for this escaping breakfast as it's just sort of like sausage and eggs and beans just sort of like slurping down down the street as it goes and we see the actually frankly terrifying corpse of this mare left behind like his his eyes have been hollowed out and there's just sort of like yolk running down his face and stuff it's it's pretty terrifying be honest it's not it's it's not that pleasant no in Mm. in three days time 10 lives have been claimed by this rogue breakfast but on the fourth day and by the fourth day vigilante groups have been formed with hoods and torches to try to take out this food it's very very small town europe here like whatever happens here comes a uh we formed a mob to deal with it you know um with with with, and you've got to have flaming torches Apparently, that's what you do. Uh, yeah, yeah. Hoods and flaming torches. Luckily, Bix Barton is on the case. He realizes that the breakfast is possessed, and so he's gonna show. And so he's gonna have a showdown with it tonight. And the main way to do it is to draw it to him by setting a bunch of incenses of uh, morning smells, like stale socks and morning breath unwashed tea and armpits as well as the sounds of uh, smokers coughs and burnt toast scrapings and stuff like that and yes other stuff not so nice and i've got to say how happy he looks at the thought of all of this quite terrifying you know bix barton will find pleasure in his work wherever it can be you know he's having a good time he's checking out the rum and uncanny it's you know that's how it goes And indeed, this all works. The breakfast strikes, calling him a communist. Oh, no. Mm. Or something. But luckily, Bix, who's an old hand at this sort of thing, manages to get the breakfast to start monologuing before it kills him. And well, so, mugging to the mugging through the fourth wall. Yeah, he's. Then he says, "Yeah, he's going to tell me a story, but we'll do it quick so that this thing ends up being only six pages long, which I appreciate." All right, like I'm trying to get out of here. <laughs> oh yeah, 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 yeah. I'm, I'm eternally grateful for that. Thank you, Bix. This is how it, you know, like you know, way one with the other. Um, but so it seems that um, the breakfast used to be a guy named Henry Armchair, but then. One night, a bunch of communists took over the town, and he was executed for not paying a poll tax. But he likes poll tax. I don't know. Um, but anyway, the the, the communists I think, had. I think I actually think he actually refused to refuse to pay the poll tax. Oh, that's right. He was refusing yeah. to refuse to pay the poll tax. He that's thinks very it's... meta as well. He refused to refuse to. Yeah, he <laughs> thinks, thinks poll tax are sexy. I see how it is. But then. <laughs> The communists had to return home because they had to let their maids into the house. There's a lot of just social commentary that I refuse to think about too much here. Uh, but mm. since then, Henry has been a spirit, and it turns out that it's actually hard to possess things. He sort of started with a P, and then he was a civil servant, and finally he worked his way up to a full English breakfast. Hooray! Oh, burn on a civil servant. Take that. 
Oh. Damn. Luckily, Bix it's cutting has edge, a... Cutting-edge commentary. <laughs> we're, we're feeling it here. You know, Bix himself, I Ooh. think, was a civil servant, technically. Works for the government, at the very least. Um, but he also he has a plan. Cross. He pulls out a pair of croissants. Holds it in front of him in the shape of a cross. Uh, murdering another accent. It's fantastic. Yes. Ah, uh, you fiend! <laughs> in the name of various French breakfasts of... Of Dupin, but de, de, de petit dejeuner, and the continental breakfast, he banishes this fell full English, and it works. Good times, um, <laughs> you know. Um, so Bix, you know, all's well that ends well. Bix is leaving Fry, leaving the town of Rye in his sweet hover car, and there's just about enough time for Michael Caine to make a poll tax joke it's got something to do with abstract ex- expressionism because everybody kept calling the poll tax a pollux oh Ooh, i got it artistic artistic burns <laughs> he's got culture yeah listen there's like i feel like like the thing about big spartan is that it does have all these little like i i like it as like it's it, it's like almost deadpool-esque <laughs> It's just here's a bunch of constant asides and little like side jokes and things like that. Um, and whether that floats your boat or not, or whether you think that I'm causing Big Spartan to punch way above his weight by comparing it to Deadpool, like I still I stand by my by my cons but by, by 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 my comments. <laughs> no, I'm I'm glad someone does. Excellent. Listen, I there like it. It's fine. Whatever. It's, Let's. It's okay. Yeah, you know. Listen. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Gotta, gotta. Someone's got to be fighting on the side of light. But speaking of the side of darkness, it's thri- oh. <laughs> thrill to Luke Kirby. Uh, script about Alan McKenzie, art about John Ridgway and Tim Perkins, letting her about Annie Parkhouse. So, yeah, she's she's coming up soon. She'll be lettering all these things, you know, eating mm. Tom's frames well, lunch as you do. Which is just called Annie here. Yeah, I mean, it's it, it's it, like a lot of times at this point she'll yeah it'll be Annie and it's it's varied between sort of her her uh, her married name and her and her and her maiden name a fair amount too like you know there like there there def there's definitely a lot of leeway I think for 2000 AD letterers to just do whatever they want in the title card in in these credit cards probably because they're the ones who who are writing them I guess. Who are doing it? <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, I'm assuming so. Like I mean Gordon Robson I think always calls himself Kid Robson for instance. It's, it's sort of yeah. how these guys get their jollies, you know. Well, you're going to do it somehow. Yeah, as we'll see in the story I guess just you know Ooh. the folly of trying to get your jollies I suppose. <laughs> It's a summer yeah. of ni- it's the summer of 1963. It's a year after the original Summer Magic. Um and listen, like we got Ridgeway drawing a Luke Kirby story. Um here four kids looking scared. I don't really get it, but you know, that's what I'm here for, is what I'm trying to say. Uh, <laughs> kids are getting out of school. Among them is Luke Kirby. He's heading home early to get things ready for his cousin Kim who's come up before in these stories in the sci-fi specials that are about Luke Kirby. Um, the We get some good, like, just green British countryside uh, pictures here as um, Luke leaves and reflects that he's, um, you know, the, the, the specific memories of the dark events of the previous year have faded from his memory, but he's still gaining in knowledge and magical power and stuff like that. 
Um, he's walking the path of the sorcerer, and that path is now taking him through a dark tunnel under a railway and into the path of the Bagnells, who are clearly a pair of bullies. Because of my action reading, there they look like the uh, the evil version of the of the of the kids from uh, Sports Not for Losers. But you know that's my personal reference. <laughs> I was about to say that's a reference that. Uh... I don't get. That's fair. No, Listen, go. no one, no one can be expected to know these deep, these deep action cuts. <laughs> <laughs> Someone's gonna do it. Yeah, the 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 larger of the pair, Tommy, looms over Lurk, o- over Luke, I should say, drops a lot of threats, but in response, Luke just removes his hand and says, "Walk on." Uh, Tommy tries again, though. This time, he goes to punch Luke in the face, but. When he punches him, it's like he's just, um, like his face is just, or his fist has just hit a stone statue or something. It has no effect. And Luke is just kind of like, listen, I don't want to fight. Just leave me alone. But Tommy isn't listening. So instead, he takes another swing with his left fist. And this time, Luke Kirby catches his hand. Ooh, it's cool. Ooh. He says, that's enough. And then, like, squeezes his hand and starts breaking bones in it with magical powers it's cool cool bully fighting here um until that is luke realizes that he's actually enjoying hurting this bully he drops tommy's hand and lets him go the bullies run away and luke feels that um by feeling this power that he had but not using it to actually like kill tommy um, he's won some sort of victory over the dark forces of magic, but it's something that would tempt him for years to come. I'm not, sh- I'm not sure I agree with that evaluation, but you know, whatever. I don't know. I'm not, I'm not a wizard. So there you go. Uh, that's true. That's true. Shades, of, shades of, well, we never saw this in Harry Potter, but we did see fights in tunnels. Um, yeah, that's it's, true. It's, I guess you yeah. Did come home from magic school and have to deal with the regular kids every once in a while. But it's a it's a it's an interesting one. This one, yeah, I, it it's kind of a weird thing. Just like yeah, this um yeah that this character sort of self taught. We just kind of get this very very brief glimpse into his sort of day to day life as a uh, as a kid with magic powers or something. Um, mm. And then the final title card says that in 1990 there's another Luke Kirby story coming. Nope. It won't be here till September of 1992. Still got a ways Damn. away for these Luke Kirby's spreading lies. I see how it is. <laughs> uh, you know, yeah, well, let's walk in the dark path. Yeah, the dark path Irony. of not being published. Mm. I see how it goes. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Jesus. Nice. Mean. Very mean. <laughs> Good, my hand broke. That's how it goes. Um, but let's keep uh, moving on as we get to some classic Thrill Power from the archives. Thrill 3, Judge Dredd, part one. <laughs> nice. Script about John Wagner, Alan Grant, T.B. Grover. Art about Cam Kennedy. Letting about Tom Frame. Tom Frame. Give it Tom. Tom Frame. Mm-hmm. I like how because 2000 AD's format has changed a little bit so that mm-hmm. – um, you know, in this special, the special is much taller than the actual prog. All these, all these reprint stories have this big blue uh, classic thrill power banner to sort of make up the negative space, basically. Well, that's kind of terrifying. And, and I'm trying to figure out. Uh, I haven't gone back and dug through the old progs, but I'm trying to figure out if the coloring on this um, 
on this uh, splash page of Dread is actually the same as it was on the original Prog. I believe it was. Uh, this one is Prog 416. Yep. And uh, we covered it on our episode uh, 130. Such a long time ago. Many years yeah, ago. Yeah, 70, mm-hmm. 70 episodes. Real, like, long-term stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Th- this was colored in the original one. Um, mm. So, this um, – the graveyard sh- – we're at the graveyard shift on a Sunday night, which is always a rough one for people who are look- who have a-, a Monday to look forward to without a job, giving them Sunday night fever. Nice. Well, you can tell by the way I use my jog. I'm an unemployed man. No time to talk. Um, we see. <laughs> uh, please tell me you didn't do that off the cuff. I mean, yeah, I, I do my best. Like, you know, oh. I, I, I did not plan ahead. Um, <laughs> we see a citizen snapping after 2,000 failed job applications and then Dredd trying to talk down a suicide club from jumping off a building, but only one of them is saved when the rest uh, uh, jump at, at, a, at a ropes tied around them and stuff. It's real crazy. Um we love it. <laughs> the survivor of the group gets 20 years, of course. Regular Mega City Night, of course, you know, just sort of arresting these people, everybody being weird. Um, but Ruby Falclo is drowning her sorrows, wishing for a job, unknowing that she's about to become the cause of the death of 15,000 citizens. Nice. And it's all quality. Good. Real, uh, real ominous. But yeah, just this good, like, early 80s um, Camp Kennedy Judge Dredd. Very solid. Yep. And the things that are perhaps a bit looser, um, <laughs> let's Ooh. move on to Thrill 4 Indigo Prime Part 1. And we'll pick up with Dredd later in the special, for the record. Um, We've got it twice. <laughs> Can't have too much of a good thing. Triple dipping. Um, Woo! <laughs> Script robot for this uh, text story is John Smith, art robot Chris Weston. And- uh, Smith and Weston. Uh, <laughs> bad, bad puns, bad puns. Oh, it's, I'll, I'll take anything here because this text story is a challenge. Um, yes, it is. I've mentioned that uh, Chris Weston himself in the winter special pointed out to me that they do a lot of uh, stuff with text widths. In these texts, in these uh, in these text stories, to sort of create, g- give them some extra space so they don't have to write as much. But there still is a lot written here, and the font's just kind of weird. Um, mm-hmm. Yep. So, text story. Oh man, um, it's it's called Requiem. It starts with a guy named Stanley falling. Then we cut to July eighth, where he knows something is wrong with a, flo- a flock of birds flies into the side of his house on the twelfth. A group of dudes known as the Atomites have been walking the Earth. There were 380 of them originally. There's three left, and they're searching for the doorway to the Garden of Eden, just FYI. On the 16th, mm. Stanley's been having the same nightmare, his wife on a beach with nails being hammered into her. He looks in the mirror and screams. His entire body has become sunburned while he slept in bed. His wife doesn't listen to him, though, um, and then he's falling again in some sort of extra-dimensional space. On a set from the 17th to the... 2nd of August, things get weirder. It rains diaries, which I think is kind of an interesting wrinkle. <laughs> um, one's uh, just a love letter to a uh, to a professor. Yeah, the rest yeah. are in Latin. Um, yeah. 
Um, faces of various celebrities appear in his handkerchief. His double-paned windows are full of orange tree frogs. And his fish pond spontaneously turns into an ice sculpture. Things get worse. Ooh. He's getting letters that have tomorrow's headlines in them. All of his left socks disappear. The photocopier produces scenes from his childhood, which is uh, – that's my top one for creepiness, actually. Um, mm-hmm. And then uh, he opens up his pocket watch and there's a butterfly trapped inside. Some kind of force is taking over his life. And Ooh. as this is happening, we see pictures uh, – cr- we see a Chris Weston picture, basically, of a of some dude falling and then a cool dude in, in paisley pants and a vest with an Indigo Prime badge on and sort of floating down behind him. Um, Looking uh, quite constipated. I mean, yeah, listen, he's he's doing business. You can't you can't trust a fart when you're in an extra-dimensional space. Everybody knows this. <laughs> I think we've all learned it either from being told or the hard way, sadly enough. Um, Woo! On the 6th of August, the Adamites have found what they're looking for. It's pulling them towards it. One of them approaches Stanley weeping. On the Meanwhile, on the 7th, uh, Stanley went home early with a nosebleed only to find his wife. Or sorry, he called his wife and she was spouting verses from the Satanic uh, Bible. He then arrived home to find her lying on the bed and seemingly made of liquid or some other weird substance. Anyway, he accidentally falls into her and into an extra-dimensional space. Bad times. Uh, it's 5.16 p.m. with exactly 38 minutes to the end of the universe. Woo! Meanwhile, yeah, meanwhile, Act 2 in Indigo Prime. Uh, Technop brings a situation to Indigo Prime director Vista. There's something stopping a reality from closing down. And I can't deal with it remotely. So they'll send a seamster to deal with it. In this case, Leo Sphincter. Fair enough. Um, at the same time, the Adamites have reached the Shriek, ha- have reached Stanley's house. When a feedback goes out, they lose this signal they've been following and start to freak out because they've never been so close before. And we'll continue this story later. Ooh, right in the middle of a sentence. The slightest breeze continued on page 38. Yeah, like, you know. Leaving on a, leaving on a high note. The fullest of cliffhangers. Like, I would have I would have tried to done it so that you'd, that, that you'd end at, uh, at, at the Act 2 break. But, you know, no one's asking me my opinion for these things, I guess. Um, yeah, I, know. I, I suppose there was a reason why they did a big typeface, try and get it to fit. And it was like, no, not going to. I mean, s- s- like this... This the thing I'll say about the sci-fi special is that they've really like taken all their thrills and shuffled them around all the different stories and shuffled them around for seemingly no reason. Like I can't tell. Maybe just to ensure that these color pages for the Dread story are preserved or something like that. But it's hard to. I thought they, I thought they were trying to preserve the mind of their readers. Ooh, but Ooh. I haven't seen. Imagine a lot of... trying. Imagine, no, imagine trying to read this story all in one lot. Uh, I don't know. I don't know because I came. I came back to it. I, like I feel like I did a whole lot for the first part, and I think everyone might be disappointed by how much I have for the second part, where I, I tapped out a little bit because I just. Well, uh, I was, I was going to say you you started outlining all the weird shit was going on. Now, if you do that for the next two parts, we're going to be here until Tuesday. Exactly. Yeah, so, it's, it's very much one, yeah, of these, yeah, yeah, yeah. one of these ones where it's like, all right, like at this point, I'm just transcribing the story. So let's move on. <laughs> <laughs> Please. Uh, uh, although I, I've got to say, um, you know, I mean, I'm quite sure this would be one of those um, bits where if you had Chris Weston here right now, 
He'd look at the pictures he'd drawn and he would probably make one of his patented anguished noises. He's very good at making noises of pain, I must say, when he looks at his own artwork. Ah, uh, yes, our, uh, <laughs> my, the fa- our the famous torture porn episode of uh, of Space Winter <laughs> 2000. Could put that alongside nice. like like several Saw sequels for the similar levels of, of forcing someone to, to deal with it. Look at their own artwork. I <laughs> uh, love Chris. He he does he does oh god when he looks his own like more more than anyone I know. I mean, yeah, I, yeah. for the record, I super empathize. I mean, I told him at the time that like I can barely listen to like our first podcasts, um, and then and that was from three years ago. I can only imagine listening to a podcast I did thirty years ago <laughs> and having to deal <laughs> with that. That's sounds terrifying. <laughs> And speaking of terrifying, yeah, let's move on to rhino, rhino suits. <laughs> Thrill five, Dredge Dread Part Two. Yeah, Dread arrests some dudes in uh, in pantomime rhino costumes, I guess, or not? And, not. And, and this is this is my little this is my little link to my very very first Dread story there for two thousand AD uh-huh. because I don't know why in this particular story the guys in the rhino suits. It was just that little – there's that little mounting aside in the first episode where they keep actually upping the number of men in rhino suits running around <laughs> causing havoc. Yeah. And for some reason, that's stuck in my head. So in the very first panel of the first Dread story I did for 2000 AD, I had to stick a man in a rhino suit in it. Oh, that's amazing. So I'm figuring these guys eventually got out and now they're doing law-abiding rhino suit bothering um, I think it's some sort of weird club upside up up on the um up in a city yeah, block somewhere. Listen, there's, there's yeah, got to, had to do it. Had had to do the uh, men rhino suits. Like like rhino, rhino men seems like if anything a tame mega city subculture in terms of some of the other ones. You know, I it's think true. I think this happens again. Oh man, there was one. There's one. I just there's a, a a a comic I just read. That's like right at the start of, of, of Necropolis, maybe, or right before it when, when Kraken's dread and, oh God, no, I should, I should not talk about that at this point. Um, there's a story where dread is patrolling the city and arrests guys in some kind of pantomime, in some kind of, of uh, animal costume. Um, <laughs> oh, shit. I can't remember what that is, but yeah, but Isabel. Yeah, it's just kind of like a uh, it's it's just an aside because he's like narrating over it or something like that. But I love the idea of just yeah this a uh, real a uh, weird aggressive uh, futuristic furry uh, uh, culture in Mega City One. <laughs> and they look so they're so small and so depressed. And they only and, and their runners just don't fit properly. It's very sad. You know, yeah, yeah, they're only chest high. They're, they're only badge high on Judge Dredd. but um. <laughs> Dread arrests these rhino guys and Ruby drowns her sorrows. She had a job once as a cannery person person at or as a canary person, I should say, at whipping at whiffing gas, but she lost it to a guy named Mac. Suddenly, another barred patient patron comes in. He's called Mac. And Ruby thinks it's the guy who stole her job all those years ago. Bam! A fight breaks out. Ruby beats this dude to death with a bottle, and she's shocked by it. But everyone else has a different idea because that means there's a job opening at Whiffin Gas. Woo! Uh, Let's go. Yeah, we gotta go. We gotta apply. Uh, Dreads investigating the murder and finds the victim actually still alive. But the bad news is that word of the job has sparked a job right at Whiffin Gas. That's terrible. Nice. 
it's nothing like nothing like the concern for sanctity of human life. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, it's, it's what it's all about. Things get ugly when it turns out that Ruby has in fact attacked the wrong guy, and Mac, the Canary Man, is still there and very much alive. For now, the job seekers turn to job rioters. They start mashing up the place, and eventually, yeah. Listen, I'm yeah, not. False ad- it's, it's, it's all about false advertising. You don't like that. As a Mega City One citizen, I am I am seconds away from rioting at any given moment. I will. I've got my <laughs> riot my my riot stuff. I'm ready to go. Sadly, someone breaks a container of rodentine sewer gas, which immediately starts skeletonizing everyone. Oh no! Nice. Love that uh, just guy, it's, it's, look, Cam Kennedy uh, guy, looking at the camera. Ah, his <laughs> skin falls off his body. That's a that's a solid end of prog cliffhanger right there. Uh, that's that's how you do it. Take yeah. that indigo, indigo prime. Hey, going back to my solids versus liquids. Let's go instead to to some filler with Thrill Six Future Shocks Index Part One. And this is this is the uh, special features that would. Probably make Fox turn into a red red mist right there, and then you just look at it get sangry. He'd just explode. You know, we're we're moving through, but yeah, I mean, Ooh. I will. So apparently, oh there's going to be indexes like this in all the specials and annuals this year. Oh, fantastic! Um, oh, this one, God, there's six pages of it. Ooh. There's yeah, there's two parts. Um, but oh th- shit, there's two parts. Yeah, ah! live it up, you know. But it's got oh, basically God. all the future shocks and sort of other one-off stories like time twisters, Robo Tales, Tales from the Doghouse, stuff like that. Um, they're organized by subject, so like Abelard Snaz or Joe Black or whatever, um, which makes it kind of confusing. I'll admit. <laughs> but like, <laughs> as much as this is like. 10,000% filler, like shocking levels of filler. Um, I do think it actually, as filler, serves a purpose. Like, you know, it's hard, like for me, it's hard to remember back in those pre Barney days where you had to just kind of remember vaguely where a certain future shock was or something like that. So having something like this where you could theoretically re- refer to it and try to maybe find a story you were looking for um is useful or is something that like you know could serve a purpose if you're a nerd kid that's really into this kind of stuff but remind me um remind me what the uh what the cover price for a prog at this time was um i believe 45 i want to say so hang on so i'm gonna buy a, a special that's uh more than twice the price of the weekly prog, and then I'm going to read 12 pages of lists of time twisters and future shocks. Yeah, I'm, I'm with Fox. I, I'd, I'd get angry. No, ah! hey, listen, you know, <laughs> I can't stress enough how much of a money-making tactic these specials are. You know, for me, I think it's always really laid bare when the winter special that comes out alongside the more expensive annuals is also about twice as expensive as the summer specials, despite being the same the same length and stuff like that, you know? Dear God. Uh, it's just the quality of the paper, isn't it? That's all it is. It's a conspiracy, if you ask me. It's certainly not the quality of the, of the stuff 
inside. Oh, no. Let's move on <laughs> to Thrill 7 Indigo Prime Part 2. Oh, dear God. <laughs> oh, so many words. Wars, the world's going mad. Leo Sphincter is here to fix it. He finds Stanley falling through his wife and into the immaterial, pulls him out of there. They head back to Stanley's wife, Marjorie. Things keep getting weird, and Leo explains that Marjorie is one of the three axes on which the universes are based. She could o- she opened doors to realities and stuff without even knowing it. It has sort of survived in various different con- incarnations for a hundred million years. Okay, um, it's a hobby. Yeah, I guess Leo's gotta go find us. They can close out this reality and start a new one. The Adamites approach them, and Leo says they're jerks and also calls them like anonymous and other things like that. Um, but they're part of it. They're needed to turn off the universe, and he starts threading reality to do so. Reality acupuncture, they say. There's some weirdness with the Atomites that I sort of tapped out on. And look, all this is strange. I do like just kind of the rant, all these random asides of, um, like reality warping and stuff like that. I don't know. Like, there are some interesting ones. Like, just I, I, I kind of like like a phantom armies fought in the sky above Nairobi. The megalith that Stonehenge cracked open to reveal men and women fossilized inside. Siamese twins were born in Beijing wearing ivory rings on each finger. Things like that. It's just sort of like I don't know. A, yeah, a, my personal favorite is uh, in Britain, twelve million school children die without ever seeing the end of Neighbors. To which I would say that's a good thing because the end of Neighbors would be shit. <laughs> oh, you uh, look at look at this look at this Aussie standing up for his native soap operas. I see how it goes. <laughs> this is yeah. a cor- this is a Coronation Street podcast. By God, <laughs> Australian version. Yep, we're going to talk about neighbors now for ten minutes. It's going to be great. Oh no! All right. Oh no! Move on. Move on. Move on. <laughs> Oh, anyway, Universal switched off. Thank yeah. God. All this, it's a, it is basically hard to recap because I'd just be sort of like transcribing the story. But the world ends. The repeats start the next day. I'm out of here. <laughs> oh boy. These yes. ridiculous Indigo Prime stories. We had a couple. I feel like '89. We didn't have any tech stories, and I felt I was happy. But now they brought them back. <laughs> Yeah, they got you. They got their sweet, sweet revenge on you. They're always waiting, you know. They're trying to take me out. <laughs> Speaking of taking people out, Thrill Ooh. Eight, Judge Dredd, Part Three. <laughs> so this story, uh, this episode, this issue came out on Halloween, and it's just in time for it. As we see a Justice Department Manta like hover tank swooping over the rapid a rapidly skeletonizing city of or or section of the city and i like that it dissolves all of you except for your eyes which just sort of rattle around in your eye sockets like you're real like real spooky like and your hair your hair and your eyes and your clothes (laughs) well yeah yeah that that's fair enough yeah it leaves the hair behind that's that's creepy actually now that i'm thinking about it um It kills a lot of folks. Um, even judges are killed. Their respirators aren't strong enough to overcome it. Mm. H-Wagons eventually drop neutralizing agents around the Woody Guthrie and Bob Dylan blocks. Of course, various folk singers. Um, mm-hmm. Enough to f- – um, and eventually the gas is corked up and the crisis is over with fifteen to 20,000 dead people. Nice. I like this just – A quiet night. 
Oh, yeah, listen, it's fine. What you expect, I guess. I, I just like this one image of uh, these two dudes uh, uh, drinking dr- drinking booze on the side of the, on, on the curb. It's like, ah, yeah. mis- misty tonight. And then they're skeletons, you know? <laughs> uh, it's all quality. Yeah, their eyes go. What's going on? Maybe they, I don't know. Good question. <laughs> That's the effect. Maybe they had glass eyes. That's the effect of the neutral. Oh, that that could be it. Yeah, they got the fake ones. Um, Eventually, Dredd quickly catches up to Ruby uh, Falco. She didn't kill that guy at the bar, but she did. But she is the direct cause of 15,000 other deaths. So she's going to the cubes. (laughs) Sunday night fever is no joke. Happy end for her, though. She doesn't have to bother about unemployment. Nah, you know, I mean, Mega City One. Like, why don't you just put them all in the cubes? They're they're growing, they're growing there eventually, anyway. You know, um, true, true. And uh, speaking uh, of once again, you, once again, you sit there just going, "Damn, look at that um, Cam Kennedy hardware and 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 a rare a rare picture of um, of a Justice Department." Um, vehicles with wheels, big. Um, oh yeah, yeah, these big, uh, yeah. like a pat, like paddy wagons or something like that. The special chemical squad with their armored um, uh, uh, chem vehicle and stuff. That's right. Nice. It's driving, driving over the corpses of the dead. That's how it goes. With a crunch and a crack. You know, <laughs> not the not the first or last time Justice Department vehicles will be doing that. You know, I also just again uh, just love Cam be- Kennedy's. Uh, 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 cityscapes, these big, like, sort of oh, like, uh, awesome. bulbous buildings and stuff like that. It's really great. Like, just giant futurescape. It's awesome stuff. And and one of the things I'm particularly fond of is on the last page, just in the background of the first panel, there's this enormous Justice Department pat wagon that's basically got a judge helmet for the oh, on the, on the, on front, the- from the front cab. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Complete with chin. complete with chin. I mean, that's, it's it's that, insane. That's the style it. at the time. I mean, the uh, the Manta tank right at the start of this story has, know, has the big I helmet know. too. You know, it's just like you know they got a they got a look. You know, they're trying to trying to keep it through. They got branding or whatever. And yeah, they certainly do. Yeah, the branding is good. It's strong. Yeah. Unlike the next bit. Yeah, speaking of uh, filling up the ISO cubes, let's fill up this special with Future Shocks Index Part 2. More Future uh, Shocks yeah. here. And, you know... To which to which the very first thing that I notice on that this particular piece is just a character thinking, mata, mata, cuss, mata, to which I have to say... Yes, I'm fair with you. enough. Yeah, just a lot of uh, yeah. The the tops and bottoms of all these pages have the um have like images from the different um from just some of the future shocks as well as like what 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 progs to find them in and stuff like that. Mm. Interesting stuff. I wish they did more with um like if if it was me putting this together, I would try to have all of the uh all of the future shock super stories in here, you know? Like so try to have like, oh, the invasion fleet is actually tiny and oh we're in a computer <laughs> game and oh these ro- these people we thought were the aliens are actually humans and the people we thought we humans are actually aliens and all that kind of stuff. Uh, yes, that would be a thing. Missed opportunity because I just love those uh, uh, those, those shared myths of <laughs> these these shared future future shock plots that happen over and over again. But speaking uh, of, uh, of again, oh, again, that would be a hobby. 
you know, I, listen, it's, it's basically my my side gig for just overall recapping is trying to put together a uh, an anthropology of future shocks. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But yeah. speaking of humans being aliens and vice versa and so forth, let's Ooh. talk about Thrill 10 Nemesis the Warlock. Nice. Oh, yes. All right. Script about Pat Mills, art about Kev O'Neill, letter about Steve Potter. Oh, yeah. Kev O'Neill, back with some crazy nemesis action. Hello, Kev. It's nice to have you back. Absolutely. Yeah, this one first appeared in Prague 430, which we covered on episode 134. So long ago. Yeah, this one was sort of powering up, I think, for... Um, I think Torquemada the God, maybe? I believe that that was the next one that we had in the... Ru- or, no. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, never mind. Anyway, moving on. <laughs> um, we see just some regular... This is just a one-issue nemesis story. We see just some termite, some humans hanging out in termite, getting hassled by purity police and entrapped by sexy lady termite officers. <laughs> a pure lure. Yeah, basically, this is 100% Judge Dredd with slightly more KKK helmets, essentially. Um, <laughs> and more entrapment. Slightly more, but definitely a lot of like, all right, like yeah. strip off. Let's see. Uh, that that uh, that undershirt is non-regulation. You're going to jail. Uh, you know, you know. That's how it goes. Um, one man, though. Henry's uh, Sprutenberg always passes these che- these te- these tests because he's a man without ambition, spirit, or drive. The man without an ego. He Ooh. works the registry of death, cataloging the few deaths by natural causes that Terminators exper- that Terminators experience. We see this cool thing. There's a giant uh, statue that's called a, tor- a Torca Reach Tower that looks like a big Torquemada's head, of course. Probably reference to a King's Reach Tower, as you do. Um, nice. His wife is a, hen-pecking, is a hen-pecking shrew, of course. You know, so he disagrees to her demand, then doesn't act on them. He's free from trouble. That is, until Nemesis the Warlock appears. He's nice. escaping a daring mission and has been wounded. This seems to be back in the t- in the uh, terror tube days as uh, Torquemada seems to still have his body and stuff like that. Um, Nemesis escapes and then possesses the body of Henry. Woo. It's pretty cool. Love these moments, just all this stuff. Yeah. Um, but Henry shows some signs of life when Nemesis is within him. He talks back to his wife, though he does apologize as they put their pure on their purity lead suits to sleep in their incredibly far apart beds and stuff like that. It's excellent. Uh, ah, dear. Suddenly, though, Torquemada and his troops burst in and attack Henry's wife as Henry himself starts to change and things get pretty Goddamn terrifying as Nemesis bursts out from within Henry's skin, and it's both gross and terror and, and terrifying as Nemesis is completely reborn from inside of Henry. Taking one entire page to do it. It's very much a, one of those like uh, like we're gonna spend uh, two minutes showing Lon Chaney sort of change to the Wolfman or something. Like oh yeah, that. big time. Yeah, but, intercutting each time. Yep. And yep. then and then the most upsetting thing upsetting thing about this is actually seeing Nemesis with an actual mouth where he's 
throat grill is and oh, there's yeah. teeth his, in it. It's just his, like that's so horribly wrong. Yeah, it's baleen or whatever. I'm also giving yeah. giving big points to just his feet at the at the in the final image, which sort of <laughs> still have some toes on him and stuff like that. And just like I don't know, the baby toes coming off his hooves are are deeply disturbing to me. I guess like Ooh, I don't yeah. know. Big time, big time. <laughs> He jumps out, breathing fire, and eventually he manages to escape and leave Henry's body to uh, regenerate on his own. Henry faces Torquemada's wrath, and the final image is the ruined remains of his body, all stretched out and baggy from transforming into the warlock. And ugh! Oh, it's gross. And really, like, doesn't show Nemesis as a good guy. Like, only the terribleness of the Terminators at the start of this make him seem like anything less than a monster. <laughs> there is no one nice in this story. It's very, except, yeah. except, except maybe Henry at the very beginning, perhaps. I mean, he's okay. Uh, like, like, like he's he's meek. So it's hard to yes. be it's hard to be too angry at him, I guess. But that also <laughs> just means that he's a he's a great victim for he's a, he's a fantastic fool guy. Yeah, for Nemesis and Torquemada and his handpacking wife and everybody else, you know. Yeah, <laughs> uh, uh, there's just it's just uh, what I love about Kevin O'Neill. It doesn't matter, and I don't know how much of it's just him doing it and how much of it is uh, Pat Mills. Well, I just love all those just the little visual gags in every single bloody frame. Definitely, know? yeah. I mean, especially the early part where we're seeing all this torque, all this, uh, all this termite stuff, and yeah, again, yeah. Mm. There's all these little things, just these big like, um, like where he works in the death's office, and there's all these. There's a big road sign of where all the different ways to die are and stuff, you know. He clocks out, and the sign says, "Live, leave early, die young," stuff like that. Yeah, signs like clock watchers will be persecuted. <laughs> yeah, it's fantastic. Oh, fabulous! Oh, it's lovely. Oh, this great. I wish, stuff. I wish, I wish he, I wish he would do more. But anyway, I guess he's retired. He's off to America at this point as well, you know. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, Freaking yeah. out people in Green Lantern yeah. and stuff with this kind of thing. <laughs> being and being censored. Indeed. Yeah. But or that takes or not printed at all. Yeah, no, I think I think they I, I I know for the one Green Lantern story that was real that was real that was um the roughest. They they printed it but like took the comics code off, which is a is a big deal here in the States for that for comics and stuff. But speaking of, uh, I don't know, terrifying monsters from beyond reality or something, <laughs> or at least gu- at least guys with swords, let's go to Thrill Eleven Armored Gideon. Uh, script robot John Tomlinson, art robot Simon Jacob, letting about John Aldrich. Yes. There we go. Yes. We sort of zoom in on a misty medieval town, I guess. Uh, the village of Starven, Starhaven, mm. something like that. Um, Starhaven? Yeah. Uh, yeah, something like that. But the yeah. guy, uh, which seems to be full of, cra- of, a, of a huge demon army. That's bad times. <laughs> At the same time, uh, all this is being narrated by some kind of, I don't know, wizard type guy in a, uh, in green, and his story is being uh, made fun of 
by a dude in red who's mar- roasting a marshmallow over a brazier on the end of a sword, as you do. So mm, And looking incredibly bored. Indeed. And for some reason, they're bleeding. Yeah. So, listen, what brought us here? Let's find out. Oh, sorry. No, wait. Uh, 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 record scratch. Uh, hey, that's me. Or, yep, that's me. Guess you're wondering how I got in this situation. Well, it's a long story. And then we go to our flashbacks. Um, yeah, the guy in green and a flashback is casting a spell in a fancy pot. And I got very confused because there are some modern stuff in the background of this image, which made me think it was in modern times, but I don't think it is. Um, despite the fact that that is like a PC in the background or something. Um, (laughs) but yeah, yeah, this guy in green, he's casting spells into a fancy pot as you do. Um, and eventually summons some sort of bubble demon into it. He calls himself the demon Slitherweed the Unseemly, and he calls Fi on the sorcerer's crappy spell book. You call that a grimoire? It's terrible. Um, and then he directs the sorcerer's attention to outside of his uh, tower, where he sees that summoning uh, Slitherweed has also summoned a big horde of green demons to start wrecking up shop. Oh, it's bad times. But even worse times is that these demons entering reality has summoned Armored Gideon Annihilate. (laughs) Nice. He's annihilating left and right. But he's also destroying the town, which is rough. Um... The sorcerer, Master Bookwise, is then interrupted by Alderfin Hawker, who's this guy in red and seems to be a warrior type of some kind. He's got a sword at least and has some blood and stuff from the uh, fighting the demons and whatever. Um, and he's basically here here to force Bookwise to undo all the magic stuff he's caused. Bookwise casts a spell, but it just gets Gideon, Gideon's attention. But... Mm. It seems that this has also quelled the angry heart of Armored Gideon because he grabs some flowers and just looks at him, sits down, and tries to sing to him. Annihilate, annihilate, and so forth. Um, causing more pain than everything else in this story. I love the sappy look on Armored Gideon's face here. He's so happy. But this brings us it back. Looks like a little, a little, looks like a little bird floating around his, floating oh, yeah. around his head He's while gained, singing. Getting the halo of a, of a happiness or something. <laughs> but now we're back to the present, and Slitherweed offers to fix the whole problem. The uh, humans agree immediately, which doesn't seem smart. And Slitherweed basically uses magical powers to send everybody back home, but then demands that Bookwise cast. The spell, the last law of necromancy, which empowers Slitherweed. As he casts it, he grows to giant size. He's a huge green dude coming out of this pot. But, and things looking real good for him until suddenly Armored Gideon shows up. The spell wore off on him and he just shoots uh, Slitherweed with every single gun he's got. Turned him back into a smoking puddle. He's been annihilated, I guess, because Bookwise didn't copy the spell down correctly. Anyway, day is saved. Got any marshmallows left? The end of Armored Gideon. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> not, not, the, uh, not the world's best Armored Gideon story. 
It's weird that it's just a flashback. I guess this is supposed to take place after um, the events of Armored Gideon in the Progs. So um, I guess at that point, the present day Armored Gideon's been sort of at least temporarily destroyed. So they kind of have to go to a flashback or something. But yeah, this is a weird, like, just we're going to do some random demon fight in action, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. I think, um, you know, story is what it is. I think, I think Simon Jacobs definitely got better than this. This is, this is, this is reasonably early Simon, Simon Jacobs, isn't it? So. Yeah. And I feel like, again, these specials are very much like can be sort of tossed off sometimes or just sort of like, let's get this done and get out of here, kind of. Um, these, well, to, no. to be honest, the, with with all the stories that were done with uh, were done specifically for this um, issue, it does feel a little bit like that for all of them. Yeah, no, I agree. Uh, uh, the special ends with an ad for Revolver, where Dan Dare meets Jimi Hendrix, and with Ooh. that, oh, don't forget Rogan, don't forget Rogan Gosh down the oh, bottom. Yes. Rogan Gosh the bottom mm. as well, absolutely. Um, and with Ooh. that. Mark Saxon, we've completed the 1990 sci-fi special. Thank God. Quite quite a hike, quite a travel Uh, through these various things. But because of that, I have one question and one question alone for you, which is, what are your top and bottom thrills? Oh, torment, pain, Uh, top and bottom thrills. Well, um, as I just alluded to, you know, the three stories that were done for this prog are a bit rushed. Um, for this special, I should say, are a little bit rushed. Um, there's bits to like in all of them. Um, it's nice seeing John Ridgeway. He's being assisted at some stage or another by um, someone, Tim Perkins. Yeah, I Tim Perkins, I, yeah, who I believe, I believe might. My- it is either inking or inking or coloring here, I believe. Yeah, the coloring looks a bit a little, little bit ropier than than um, John Ridgway's usually does. So I figure that might be it. Mm-hmm. But um, but yeah, no. When it comes down to it, our oh, top thrill. Ooh, damn, it's a it's a bit of a toss up because you know I, I've got a I've got a massive soft spot for that particular dread story. Um, yeah, Saturday Night Fever. Mm-hmm. Well, you know what? In the end, I think uh, it's toss up between that or Nemesis. I'm going to go. Uh, I'm going. I'm going dread just for the rhino suits. Nice, excellent. That's a fair dread reason for, the rhino for sure. Uh, and 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 other things as well. But you know, uh, you know, it, uh, it, it is one of those fantastically classic dread stories. Um, but you know, massively honor honorary mention to Nemesis only because it's just. It's just fabulous as well. Um, I love it. Um, bottom, oh, I think there's no argument. There's no well. Okay, so at this point, this is where I have to ask: Do can we include? Pick what you please. It's fine with me. Have fun. <laughs> uh, in that case, it's going to have to be. Well, Jesus, you know, um, the Indigo Prime story. You know, yes, John Smith's got an ama- amazing imagination. He's got an incredibly dense way of writing. Uh, and, you know, the story did make me, my eyes roll back into my head and I did twitch several times. <laughs> but when it comes down to it, I'm going to have to go, dear God, they did 12 pages of Thug's Future Shocks Index. Uh, That's um, extremely fair. So, yeah, there's just there's just so, so, so much of it. It's, it's a really shocking amount for sure. It's... 
to Future Shocks Index. <laughs> uh, I'm sure there's someone out there who really loves the fact that it exists, but boo to that. So that's my bottom thrill. But, um, you know, I mean, you have to take the good with the bad. Um, and, um, and speaking of which, I mean, Conrad, mm. Conrad, do you have a particular preference for top and bottom thrills in this fine periodical? Oh, man, doing, doing that Fox-style breakdown. I see how it goes. Um, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm plugging for another special. Woo. Hey, listen, you know, there's only so many coming up, but I, I, I'm always looking for folks. That's true. Um, we're we're getting, to the, getting to the end. Um, I think we'll – I, I I mean, listen. It's hard not to take the uh, the the future shock index as the bottom because that's just garb. Like, oh no. Well, I mean, listen. I I'll, I'll stand by my. I feel like there were definitely er, folks in the early days who need who where where that was helpful for figuring out where things were. And I could imagine being a little kid. Or being a kid and, and reading the index and thinking like, ooh, like I remember that one. Ooh, what's that one? You know, it might even inspire me to reread some things or something like that if I had a big 2008 collection. But coming back to read it, you know, in as a podcast trying to recap like fun, fun, thrilling stories of 2000 AD, it's just the most fillery filler. Like it's real, real bad. And it's like you said, it's 12 pages long. That's on a, that's like a, like a large portion of this special is just that, um, is just those pages and that's no good. So I'll, I'll join you with that as my bottom. Um, you did it. You did mention earlier, uh, torture porn. And I think, you know, that, that fits perfectly into a descriptive <laughs> of what this is. So it's yeah, sort of like, I mean, I mean, I, I, I think it'd really be torture if we sort of went over the actual of all the entries and stuff, but I think we're okay with that. Um, I think yeah. for, who, who's the person who put it together and are they still alive? It, I bet it was uh, Jim Butcher who always does these sort of um, collate a bunch of information things for who's a sub who's a sub editor. I think who does a lot of these collate I'm, information I'm for all these things. I'm sorry, Jim. I hope you're okay. He he knows what he signed on for. He he's done this stuff before. He's got to be into it, you know. It's maybe maybe it's an S and M relationship. It's something like that. But I, I back think, to that torture point. Indeed. Um, I think for my top, top, top I'm gonna do. I'm gonna go Nemesis this time. I think. Um, Ooh, split. Yeah, but you fair. know we gotta spread fair, fair. spread it around. But I really like this Nemesis story. I I, I actually super like it. Um, with sort of our current knowledge of Nemesis, like sort of, you know, now so as we've sort of finished book nine and we kind of realize that Nemesis is this figure that is just sort of is a is a bored god who has, um you know, sort of has fun by sort of poking at Torquemada and being a jerk to him and stuff. So it yeah. casts playing the antagonist. Yeah, but so it it casts this in a light less of like, ooh, that nemesis, he's a brave freedom fighter, and more like, look at this asshole nemesis messing with this dude for no reason, you know? And I think that's kind of a, like, it just, because it takes on those extra notes, I think it's a really interesting story. Like, it has a, it feels different depending on, on where you are when you read Nemesis, and that's cool. Yes, it is. Yes, or well, whatever. I mean, it was my it was my other pick, so I'm going with that thing entirely fair. Yeah, and like you said, like these uh, these new stories are very middle of the pack. Like I'm not really 
blown away by any of them and they seem like sort of lesser notes for its i mean like many of these characters like i i like big spartan i like armored gideon actually uh i've you know i've enjoyed their stories but the, these aren't it this is not it you know <laughs> so i'm sort of happy to happy to just leave them behind but speaking of leaving I think we, it, can yeah. we shall Absolutely. Yeah, speaking of leaving it all behind, I hope everybody enjoyed the show. As always, you can find Space Spinner 2000 on iTunes, Stitch at the Google Play Store, Spotify, or our podcast site, spacespinner2000.com. Feel free to contact us at spacespinner2000 at gmail.com on the 2080 forums or on our Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter pages. On Twitter at Space Spinner 2K for everything else, look up Space Spinner 2000. We should be there. That's how Mark and I talked and set this whole thing up. So good times. Damn. <laughs> thank you so much for coming on the show, Mark. I really appreciate it. Oh, thank you. For, thank you for both the, the ecstasy and the agony. It's been, <laughs> it's, been, it's been real. Absolutely. So where can folks find you online if you'd like to be found? Ooh, um, I, or pl- I, I, I alternately I, I, uh, uh, plug your pluggables is what I'm trying to say. Uh, I have no pluggables um, oh, no. except for my sinks. Um, uh, no, no, I'm hanging around, hanging around on the Facebooks and businesses like that, and I occasionally say something completely uninteresting on Twitter. <laughs> um, um, and other than that, you know, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm I'm working on films at the moment, so I don't really have anything I can talk about 2000 AD related, but. Ah, uh, you know, there's always Burn. conversations happening in the background. I'm, I'm hoping, hoping something soon. Once I've finished the film, I'm on now. We'll see how we go. Fingers crossed. Yeah, More dread would be nice. Is the dream. Would always love to see mm. 2080 movie or two or something. Something. <laughs> yeah, come on, Duncan Jones, get your ass into gear. Yeah, come um, on, and Rebellion, get your ass into gear with uh, with uh, with our dread mega mega series. Yeah, we'll see. Yes. <laughs> Anyway, Ooh, please, please. Yes, and come back on – and everyone, please come back on Friday as we'll talk about the Judge Dredd mega uh, – uh, about the Judge Dredd mega special, which I believe will have just about as much filler as this one. I'm not – I'm moderately looking forward to it. Um, and then come back next next week as we go dream jamming in shadows. The Universal Soldier learns about crystals. Armored Jerubal makes the scene. Kronos Carnival sets up tent. And Judge Dredd – is cracking up. Oh, 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 oh. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Until then, I'm Conrad there, Mark, and we are Space Spinner 2000. Splunting for three.